Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about Cooler Master adding open source to their role. Let's get into episode 48. This episode is brought to you by Bitwarden, and we're really proud to welcome Linode. With me today are my two fantastic co-hosts, Matt and Nate. Are you both exhausted like me, or do you have a little bit of energy to get through this show? I'm taking some branched-chain amino acids to uh, boost my energy a little bit here so I can tolerate Matt. Well, <laughs> Nate, I'm sure I'll be nice and rested by the time you and Wendy start spouting off about 3D printing. Well, I don't know. I'm starting pretty early. I think I, all we've got to talk about the last few weeks is 3D printing, so you probably sleep through half the show. Only half? <laughs> okay. Last week, especially, was technically there was really no main topic. You probably slept through three-fourths of the show. Yes. <laughs> Matt, I can't help it that you don't like cool things. Whatever, dude. No, this is where I can throw <laughs> something back in Wendy's face. This is very much in the same thing where 3D printing does not fit what I need. Kind of like where the Steam Deck doesn't fit what she needs. So therefore, it has yep. no bearing on whether or not I care. And that's why <laughs> Nate is the perfect addition to the show. Because he's that buffer between the things that I'm not interested in and you're not interested in. But the other one is. And so it still keeps the conversation rolling. So for our listeners out there who are interested in those things, maybe even both of those things, Nate can fill the gap and we actually have a decent conversation about it. That's actually part of the problem with me is I'm interested in almost everything. And so <laughs> I can't really stay focused for any period of time on any one topic. And this is an actual problem. Like in my personal life, this is a problem. Yes, I am a fellow ADD, ADHD person. I do self-medicate with caffeine and that does help a lot. <laughs> but at the same time, I have had those days, especially when my kids were super little, and I know I have just worked my butt off all day, not stop moving, but it doesn't seem like anything got accomplished. And that's because that ADHD brain is bouncing from, oh, this project, oh, this project, oh, that project. Yeah, it makes it really hard to get stuff done. But then you have that one day in the week when everything comes together and like you get all these things done and you finally feel good about accomplishing something. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know about one day a week, maybe one day a month, one day a year. Yeah, that one day when. <laughs> I should have put that little caveat on there about when or the frequency of it. Yes, absolutely. But you've been getting a ton of stuff done lately on your 3D printer. And I'm so excited about this thing that you finally got wrapped up, got figured out, because I am copying this right after you tell me all about it. We talked about it a few weeks ago. I think two or three weeks ago, maybe, where I'd moved the power supply outside of my Ender 3 on this enclosure table. And I installed like a little Y adapter splitter to break off for doing the power, the Raspberry Pi, which I keep like going through these little power supplies. I don't know what my problem is. The plan was to be able to power the Raspberry Pi that's running Octoprint from the Ender 3's power supply because that's a more reliable power supply than all these little wall warts that I keep burning through. I must be just losing the uh, electronics lottery or something. I talked to some people who don't have these problems. So, okay. Anyway, I got the last of the parts I needed this past week. It steps the 24 volts from the Ender 3 
to 5 volts for the Raspberry Pi. A little DC to DC converter or buck converter and brings the power down. Got a little adjustable little pot on there that you can turn with a uh, screwdriver to adjust it to exactly where you want it. For what it's worth, my Raspberry Pi wants 5.1 volts, not 5 volts. Maybe that's common for everybody. I don't know. I got that all adjusted, soldered in the ends, one, the USB side to power the Pi, and the other side, the XT60 connector on the other side to go into the Ender 3's power supply line. And it works great. It took me a couple hours to actually put it all together. Create a little video on it that goes through the process, the tools you need, the parts you need. I don't really specify the power supply piece of it because I mean it can be anything really from a 12 volt battery to a you know a power tool battery. You just need something that's greater than the five volts that you can adjust the buck converter down. Or you could actually really do it right off the Ender 3 power supply as well once you have it all hooked up. Anyway, it works great. It's really cleaned up the inside. The wires coming into the enclosure. I don't have all those additional lines now. It's just kind of cleaned up a little bit. You just got the one coming in for the 3D printer, the other wire coming in for the light above, and that's it. And I'm very happy with the result. It's working just as expected. And the other benefit too is when I'm done printing and I shut everything down, turn off the Raspberry Pi through the web interface, and then when I turn off the machine, it's one switch. So I don't have to like yank out the wall wart plug out of the power strip in order to plug it back in and turn it back on, if you know what I mean, because Raspberry Pis don't have a way to easily turn on and off. Yeah, unless you have a Pi 4 that you can get that other extra button for, because the Pi 4 that I've got in the kit that it came with, there actually is a external okay. power button for it, which is pretty handy. But yeah, I totally get it because I've been dealing with the exact same thing on my Ender 5 that's paired with a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, so it's great now. I like it. It feels like a more complete appliance now. It's a nice way to top off the whole thing. Now I just did some decorating to it. I think I sent you a picture of it, of filling in all the little the T-slot gaps with uh, little fillers now. But, yes. But that's just, just for looks. It looks super fancy. I like the black and yellow combination. Looks good and it matches the outside of the case and some of the other changes that you made to the printer itself kind of keeps a flow going. Yeah, it's kind of a theme. Mostly black and a little bit of yellow. Yeah. Kind of DeWaltish or maybe Bumblebee from Transformers. I don't know. I'd go with Bumblebee. <laughs> Bumblebee's cooler. <laughs> Probably. Or Blacktron, the Lego space theme from the 1980s. Could be that as well. Oh, there you go. Well, Matt, looks like you had an interesting meeting with an interesting company creating interesting OEM Linux hardware. What is this about? <laughs> Can't get any more specific, couldn't you, Nate? As of last <laughs> show, I had mentioned that I had an interview slash meeting, call it what kind of what you want, with Judo Computers. Um, we met in Philly and got to mess around with their hardware for their Juno tablet in person. That was a fun and interesting experience. I have learned one thing. Things never go the way you expect them and how you want them. <laughs> When it comes to like, oh, of course. like on the fly content creation. So yeah, we got to kind of get a behind the scenes look at some of the stuff that Juno's doing as far as that particular piece of hardware, but also kind of just like generally what it's like to be a Linux OEM. It was definitely an enlightening conversation because now this is one company's position, so I want to make that clear. But certain things, they have an interesting position based on what their needs are. One of the things that was quite enlightening is while I might have a consumer kind of point of view on like Linux hardware and that kind of stuff, when you talk to people like I did with the folks from Juno, 
you end up kind of getting a different perspective and it kind of changes how you view certain things. So it, it was really enlightening to kind of see where that went and some of the projects that they rely on and some of the hurdles and struggles that they go through from not just a hardware perspective, but just kind of an overall customer's perspective as well. So it, it was definitely interesting. And Juno is a smaller company in comparison to say, you know, like a System76 or whatever. But it was definitely an interesting conversation and experience to see. And I will say that out of the UIs that were presented for the options for uh, Mobian and Plasma Mobile Manjaro version, for me, it was definitely Plasma, just saying. (laughs) Of course. I guess you could say that's my Plasma fanboy speaking. Yeah, that's not too big of a surprise. I have played with Plasma Mobile a bit and actually quite enjoyed what I've seen of it and still the customizability that's there. It's probably one of the things that I really enjoy about Android is the ability to make the device mine. And I'm very, very particular about how I like my home screen laid out, not only on my phones, but my tablets, my computers, all of that. I like it very dark, very simple, easy to get to what I need to. I do utilize folders in my app drawer. I do like an app drawer. And so the way that they done it inside of Plasma Mobile feels very comfortable for me and very customizable. But I would expect that from Plasma because that is what I find on their desktop. You said you like the Plasma desktop better. I like Plasma Mobile. I enjoyed it on the Pine 64, although a bit slow compared to other things. What would you say specifically that you liked about your experience with the hardware? I guess just the openness and transparency that they're being with the hardware. When I was talking with them, they were very upfront about very much like kind of their product page. Like this is very alpha. And I think that for me was the fact that they give you the options because I did kind of touch upon with them about they generically just offer Ubuntu as their distro of choice, which, okay, you know, you're a small OEM, less support tickets, all that stuff. Totally get it. Limited time, limited money, all that jazz. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Just kind of getting the different perspective on using x86 as opposed to like ARM and kind of hearing where it's good, where it's bad, and just kind of like more nitty gritty kind of stuff was more interesting than, honestly, than the actual hardware. Because yeah, the actual hardware and the experience. Okay, cool. If you messed around with any of the mobile stuff for the most part, it's just that on x86. Mm-hmm. Hearing more of the nitty gritty about how certain aspects of the ARM stuff translate well over to x86 or vice versa is actually quite interesting because I'll just use this as an example. Like Currently, the rear camera doesn't work, but that's because it's designed on the tablet. The front camera works because it shows up as a USB device. The back camera doesn't work because it also has the camera module and all the other stuff. Like It's a secondary portion on top of the USB interface Hmm. hearing the struggles that they're going through to get that worked on fixed and whatnot was to me really really eye-opening that's kind of where i really liked getting into some of those more granular kind of details about like what translates well from one to another and that kind of stuff now the actual hardware are they manufacturing the hardware or or maybe you stated this when you said it's an oem are they getting some hardware from a specific vendor and then they are customizing certain aspects of it and then throwing linux on it how is that process most people our age would understand it's a white box tablet 
for those that generically complain about Linux OEMs using like Tongfang ODMs or using Clevo ODM mm-hmm. stuff, it's the same kind of deal. A okay. Tablet that is very mass produced at the time anyway. So that's just kind of what it is as far as from a uh, specific hardware point of view. Seeing what they're doing and the changes that they're making so that things like Mobian or Mandrero Plasma and that kind of stuff run on top of that mobile experience on top of what is not commonly an x86 experience. Okay. That is a lot of where their work is going into and tweaking certain things and whatnot. So like when you plug in a USB-C device, because one of the things they did show was plugging a USB-C as an external monitor and it just translates as a external monitor screen. So you can still have the tablet as the main monitor, but you can have the bigger screen with dual setup well that is cool so it's stuff like that that they're working on and and like kind of small tweaks here and there and working on quality of life improvements and just like not a lot of stuff a lot of quote unquote as he said developers would really uh, focus on because that's not the stuff that they need to fix right so the stuff that juno is providing it makes it for more end consumer kind of focus and mentality that's very cool and then i wonder what they're doing with the patches and such i'm sure that they're writing are they upstreaming those or are they like where are those going the patches and stuff are going upstream i know they mentioned they had a ppa they have it backported to debian and there was one other one and i can't remember right off the top of my head but there's multiple ways to get a lot of that pulled down and into insert distro here okay so they are providing that functionality that they're working on in upstream just kind of in different ways and by insert distro here they're obviously thinking very strongly about open susa right <laughs> nate something tells me you could <laughs> probably figure it out mr open susa fan with an unhealthy obsession almost almost unhealthy what i'm most curious about is you had picked up some different pieces of hardware in order to record on the go how did they work or was that some of the difficulties? Did it not work like you had thought it would? That was an interesting experience. The hardware, this is where I say, Wendy, we've done the show. How many episodes now? Like 100, almost 150-ish. Things never go always how you want them on recording. You should know this. <laughs> we were supposed to meet at a, a kind of like a coffee shop, kind of board room kind of deal. You know, like meeting area. Got there, we sat down, put on the mics and all that stuff. All of a sudden, and I had tested all this stuff the night before. I had tested it earlier in the week. I had checked all the audio channel. Like, so literally, it was just plug in USB-C device, turn on mics, and record. I had already set up OBS, all that stuff. Doesn't want to detect the mics. That's fantastic. <laughs> I had a secondary <laughs> webcam that I use for when I record on a different side of my recording area. So I took that. Apparently, the USB connector is on the fritz, which I did not know because that stays generically plugged into a hub that I don't really unplug ever. So messing around with a tablet and, you know, I'm kind of just being shown around on the interface and stuff and hit the USB port. Hey, look, video stopped. (laughs) I'm like, okay, so do note, new webcam needed. Nice. I was able to make it work. It, it wasn't 100% perfect, but, you know, it, like I'll make good stuff out of what was given. That should be out sometime, probably in the next week, week and a half or so. There's a lot of content to edit there. I'm sure there is. How long did the interview last? The actual interview, we met at 3 o'clock. I left 
Philly around six-ish. Oh, wow. Well, the actual recorded interview was a little shorter. The actual recorded interview was probably hour and a half, hour 15. A lot of it was trying to find some place that was decent enough for recording and stuff. Well, I'm really excited to see what the finished product looks like. Listen to the full interview. Listen and watch the full interview. That's going to be really, really cool. And when that is available, we will have a link. Whether it's in the show notes this week or in the show notes next week, we'll have that for you. So while I'm meeting Lennox OEMs, Wendy, you have some FLL stuff going on. Yes, my life has completely centered around robotics, our first Lego League challenge team. And they have been hard at work. Last week, we didn't get to do any robot coding at all. It was all focused on their speeches. Let's see, we're recording on a Friday, Friday the 20th to be exact. On Wednesday the 18th, they gave their innovation project presentation to the company that they need their help with in order to get this pushed through. So the whole season, to kind of recap, is all about energy how it's produced, how it gets distributed, how it gets used, all of that good stuff. And the kids have been focused on a project that helps generate more power here in Idaho with the hydroelectric plants and could eventually go out to help other places, anywhere where there's a hydroelectric plant and they are mandated to have water flowing over a falls, whatever, for scenic viewing times. And this sets it up so when there's actually people there to watch it, they can see the water flowing over the falls. And when there's not people there to watch it, all of that water is being used to generate power. So it's the best of both worlds, I guess you could say. They presented that to the company and they absolutely loved it. Not only did they love the idea and were like, yes, if we were allowed to put this in, we'd be doing it right now. They want to get the kids in contact with their legal department, the part that deals with all this regulation, have them present to it and actually move this forward. So they're super excited about this. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great to get that feedback from the company. There was a few things that they needed to change, just like wording. And they had it listed as law in part of their presentation. And it needs to be a regulation instead of law. So just a couple minor tweaks. They've made those adjustments. Super, super cool. We now have one week to go. So next week is our last week before state. I'll be with the kids Wednesday, Friday, and then pretty much all day Saturday as they compete. We were able to work on some robot code today. Yay. Yay. And I had been (laughs) fighting with this PID. Yeah. It's actually more fun for me when we get to code than when we're working on presentation stuff. It's like, oh, it's all really, really important. But my favorite part, and I think their favorite part too, is when they're either building robots or coding robots. And so this presentation part is just, you know, the the other stuff that they have to learn. All of it is going to benefit them in the future, but definitely not their favorite part of it. We did get to code this afternoon. A mission that we've been working on for a really, really long time, finally got successful with, but I had been fighting with this proportional control code for a while. And I finally gave up like in scratch, you could knock the thing, it would go way off course and then write itself back to whatever degree you had set inside the code using the gyro. 
With the Python code that I have right now, it can be off a little bit and come back, but it can't be knocked off a lot and come back to zero. Just doesn't work that way. And I still wouldn't say that it works fantastic. Inside the loop, it's just not seeming to check often enough to keep it at a really good zero and I need to play with that code just a little bit more but it's better than it was. I played with it kind of figured some things out talked to my daughter she actually edited it into the team's code because that's not stuff I'm allowed to do I'm not a team member one of the team members actually has to enter all of that stuff so she got it entered in made some changes to their code and we finally got to run it today for a lot of the stuff like we talked about what the code meant but she was copying and pasting it over just to save the time of her typing it out it's one of the advantage of us using a real code editor instead of the app we have this awesome thing called copy and paste Mm, and so We had to correct some errors where it was using some of my wording. So I just called my hub, hub, and theirs is called POW, which is part of what their innovation project is called. So there's a few of those things that we had to work out, but it seemed to work pretty good. Got all that bugs worked out. They added a little bit of code. We're almost done. I'm super excited to finally have the last little bit. We once again ran out of time. There's just not enough time. You'd think that four hours in a robotics meeting We'd be running out of stuff to do, and we're just not. It's crazy how much time we spend together, crazy how much work we put in during the meetings and outside of meetings, but it's all well worth it. However, I'm so excited to have State done. (laughs) I believe it. It sounds like just so much work. One, very cool that they got a meeting that was fruitful and that might move the ball forward in some efficiencies of how the state does the electricity and so forth. That's very cool. I think that's a, a fantastic accomplishment. What I think is also neat is the fact that you had the kids doing that and they're involved also with you know, bettering the world, essentially, you know, or at least the parts of the world that rub up against them. So that's all very cool. And I can imagine this is a lot of work. I know you talk about how this is pretty exhausting for you, but to me, it sounds like this is good work you're doing and this is beneficial for these kids and everything else. So good on you for all that. It does make me tired, but it's just because it's more mental exhaustion than physical exhaustion in everything that we're doing. And so on days where... I'm up early getting my kids going, spending, you know, our four hours together with meeting, coming back from big town. By the time I'm done, yeah, I'm pretty tired. But do I want to give up being a mentor for the team? Absolutely not. I am hooked. So like I said, I am looking forward to state being done, having some time to kind of breathe and relax. And then this following semester... Our team will still be meeting weekly. We won't have these extra meetings outside of co-op. So we'll still be meeting weekly, but we'll get to focus more on Python coding related stuff. So I've talked about getting some more Raspberry Pi 4s, getting some more build hats, letting the kids play with the motors and sensors. And instead of being focused on particular missions that we're having to hurry up and get done, practice through the team kind of competing with each other, building their Python skills, us getting to play with Pybricks and learning some more about that kind of code. That's what I'm looking forward to once the season is over. And it is definitely awesome seeing the kids and their excitement after the presentation that they did for their innovation project. I know Saturday, the 28th, is going to be an absolute 
last of the kids doing the presentations. It's so much more polished than it was for regionals. And their robot coding is so much more polished than regionals. And I love it when they switch because it's not just one coder. In FLL, everybody has to do kind of a little bit of everything. Everybody's building, everybody's doing some coding. It's kind of this step figuring out what you like, what you're good at. So when you move to the older robotics team, then you can specialize, but you don't get to specialize in this team. It's everybody gets to have their part, figure out what you like about it, where your skills fit into this what's your passion it's kind of cool when i've got a kid that needs to come back and edit a section of their code each one's doing a different mission and they don't need to ask me for help anymore they know exactly what to put into the code instead of you know looking at me like okay what's next Mm -hmm. When they're figuring it out, they're understanding how it works and don't need help to write it. That's really awesome. I imagine, I'm, I'm just thinking here, they're probably, they probably think through the problems at this stage with their younger minds a lot better. I probably can at this point. Yeah, kids are definitely more flexible when it comes to coming up with solutions. And it's really, really interesting to see what they come up with and the way problems get solved as they're working through stuff. Because our job is to help guide them through the coding, help guide them through the build process, you know, just point out some things here and there, but really they're the ones doing the work and seeing the different solutions that they come up with and stuff. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty dang awesome. Yeah, it's got to be a lot of fun to see. It's even better for me because I've got two kids on the team. Of course, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I get to see that both at home with our robotic stuff and then on the team and the way they work together with that group. That's got to be fun too, especially when you get to watch your kids grow and learn stuff and develop these new skills. It's got to be a lot of fun to watch. Yes, Absolutely. Visit linode.com slash tux and see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure. From their award-winning support to ease of use and setup, it is clear why developers and businesses have been trusting Linode for their projects, both big and small, since 2003. Don't worry if you're just getting started. That 24-hour, 7 days a week, 365 days a year support is offered to every level of user. They also offer industry-best price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including shared, dedicated, high memory, and GPUs. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible allowing you to focus on your customers, not your infrastructure. Visit linode.com tux, create a free account, and you'll get a $100 credit. Say you're in a hurry, don't worry about it. You can build everything yourself or use the Linode one-click apps to deploy everything from Plesk, WordPress, to Valheim, and Minecraft servers. Make sure you visit Linode slash tux to get started for free and snag that $100 credit while you're at it. What I love even more than robotics is my mechanical keyboard. Does that fall into robotics? Maybe it does. It's mechanical. Robots are mechanical. Yeah, they (laughs) might both go together. My oldest daughter found a cup that she said, mom, you need this, a mug. And it said, beware, may randomly start talking about robotics. And I'm like, we need to add Linux and 3D printing to that list. 
And I guess we could almost add mechanical keyboards to that too. I have had this Cooler Master keyboard for at least three years now, maybe a little bit longer. And when I picked this keyboard up, one of the reasons why I chose it was because I didn't need external software to set the rainbow vomit on it. I'm not a huge fan of RGB as it's flashing different colors, but I do love the backlight. I do love being able to set which colors are in the backlight, how bright all of that is. And Cooler Master was one of the best choices for that. Having a really rock solid keyboard with the switches that I wanted, I went with the blues, wish I would have went with the browns. Eventually I will upgrade this computer to blue switches so I still have the tactile feel, but without the noisy clickety click, click, click. Now Cooler Master is taking another step forward and they're actually releasing part of their software in an open source fashion. What do you guys think about this? Well, I'm personally always excited when a company does something that pushes the open source or adds to the open source. It's a net positive for everybody, even those that don't care about open source, because it means that there's going to be new features, more eyeballs looking on the code. Things tend to become more secure when open sourced. Although I don't have a Cooler Master anything, I do have a mechanical keyboard, a couple of them. I think that being able to, in my view, enjoy the hardware more from my Linux machine, that sounds really exciting to me. Yeah, I was going to say, for me, I think I like the idea that they are looking to open source this. And I know some people will kind of not be a fan of like, oh, well, certain things won't work because they're not Cooler Master. Well, not everything can be the essential of MSI Afterburner. Um, I find the fact that they're open sourcing this, though, to be very uh, intriguing. Honestly, I would like to see what some of the open source projects that are currently out there already might be able to do with some of that code because it could lead to potentially a better experience with Cooler Master products using those projects. So things like Piper, things like Polychromatic and OpenRGB and all the other stuff that's out there. This is definitely something that I think is a step in the right direction. Does it go far enough? Some people will never be happy regardless of how far you go. I think this is kind of them dipping their toes into it. Now, it does say in this article from itsfoss.com that not everything is going to be open sourced. There's the portion that I could care less about, which is odd integration, I guess won't be open sourced. Do we even care? No, because if I've learned anything from when I did stuff on Windows, things like Razer Synapse are the plague of any gamer ever. And it's a terrible <laughs> application. Okay, good. Like that's the only part of the API. I guess it's not going to be exposed for third-party apps. What do you even need cloud control for on your RGB vomit anyway? I don't even know. I can't think of a good reason for it. A lot of the times it's more of integrating into their other products, like for vertical integration and stuff. I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just simply saying that's generically what they use it for. So if you have multiple Cooler Master products or something, say you switch your keyboard to a different system, you can download your rainbow vomit colors that you wanted or had previously in a profile and that kind of jazz. See, and I would prefer most of that just being right on the board itself. So if I was to move my current Cooler Master keyboard to the kitchen system, it would still have the exact same lighting. Now that does mean I have only one profile. There probably are people out there that like different profiles for different things they're doing. I'm pretty boring that way. Yes, the RGB is turned on on my Asus motherboard, but 
it's set to some pretty basic lighting. I don't actually get to see it, even though I do have that clear panel on my case. I'm not running Cooler Master fans in there. They're all Noctua because I love Noctua. I don't have any lighting on my CPU cooler. There is a little bit of lighting on the graphics card, but nothing super flashy. I'm not setting different profiles. My mouse is from a different company. It's not currently Cooler Master, but I was still able to get the lighting between the two pretty similar. So I guess when it comes to RGB stuff, I'm pretty gosh dang basic. I really don't ask for a lot. But if you are someone who wants to have these different multiple profiles, and instead of using the version that comes with Cooler Master, there typically is a way to export profiles from OpenRGB, possibly even Piper. I haven't tried to do that. So if you're switching systems, you could potentially still take them with you instead of needing to use a cloud source to do that. What is this Piper you're talking about? I've used OpenRGB. Is Piper just another open source? Piper is a way to control mostly mice. It doesn't work with my Corsair mouse. That's one I would love to see some open sourcing of their software too. It did work with my mouse that I had from Logitech really, really well. I was able to change the colors on it, adjust the DPI on it, change some of the button settings on it, which is super, super awesome. I love to be able to do that from a Linux native application. On my mouse, if I'm going to change any of that, I typically have to attach it to a Windows-based system and make those changes to the buttons. Now it does save that to the mouse. So once I leave that Windows system, all of those buttons are still mapped to whatever I want. There's some sort of memory there in the mouse to do that. But if I wanted to say have it mapped out a specific way for a particular game, I want to use these buttons for these actions in this mm. game. I want to use these buttons for this action in that game. Or I'm now working in Tenacity, so my goal is completely on audio editing, mapping the buttons in a way to use them for that specific application. You are able to do that with many of the Windows tools for these different peripherals. And it's been harder to have that kind of setup on Linux. And with Cooler Master open sourcing most of this application, though it seems like they're more focused on RGB for your fans and all of that stuff, I don't know how much of it is going to be focused on some of their other peripherals. But there could be the potential of being able to map your keys on multiple things like keyboards and mouse that also come from them in these different profiles and settings for specific applications or use cases and being able to jump back and forth in them for your workflow. Well, yeah, that looks pretty cool. I just looked up the project on GitHub. And yeah, that does look cool. I don't think I have a mouse that would take advantage of this. I don't have those fancy gaming mouses, Mises. Mice. And Wendy, the only reason you have one of those fancy gaming mice or Mises or mice or however Nate wants to describe it <laughs> um, is simply because of the high DPI. Right. That is one of the things that I absolutely love about the gaming mice is the high DPI. When I'm moving back and forth between my multiple screens, it is so nice to have just a little movement and be able to take it where I want to go. I have used that in gaming. Uh, Bendy in the Ink Machine, Bendy in the Dark Revival, you are kind of steering yourself a bit with your mouse looking up and down and around. So 
being able to make those tiny movements. Mine does have a thumb button that in the past I have set up so it'll lock and unlock tracks that use the exact same key combination inside of Audacity or Tenacity that I have set up so I can lock and unlock tracks just using that thumb button instead of having to use the keyboard combination, which can be pretty handy, especially if I'm not eating all that well, then I get really pretty bad joint pain in my fingers and doing it multiple times from the keyboard can make those really, really ache. I'm better off, you know, to eat right. So that's not a problem. But as a side note, I have been able to do that from my mouse. One of the other things that I typically like about gaming mice is they usually have the forward and back buttons. Now you can adjust them depending on the mouse itself, the software that's available to have them do other things. I use them as they are intended forward and back on web browsers, file browsers, all of that stuff. When I'm using a mouse that doesn't have them, it's kind of painful. I've got two top buttons on this that right now they are set to change the DPI directly from the mouse and it'll flash a color depending on what the DPI is. Of course, the roller. The biggest downside of the current mouse that I have is it's wireless. So while I do love the flexibility of not having that wire attached to it, it is really, really not fun when they're in the middle of editing a podcast and your mouse dies. But in a roundabout way, gaming mice are pretty awesome for lots of things besides gaming. I think that we need to not call wireless mouse a mouse anymore because wireless mouse has no tail and a rodent that is about the size of a mouse that has no tail is called a hamster. So perhaps hamster <laughs> would be more appropriate than mouse. I've got a hamster sitting next to me instead of a mouse. Yes, I have a Unless mouse. Unless I have it plugged in and sometimes I do use it when it's charging and I could have it with a cable into my system. Oh, okay. I just don't. Does it report itself like a wired mouse then? Is it not transmitting when it's plugged in? Yeah. Yeah, you can make sure that it's not transmitting when it's plugged in. That's very cool. Lots of options there. A mouse with a removable tail. Uh-huh. What do you call that? I don't know. Heart lizard? What are those lizards that can regrow their tails? A gecko? Can geckos do that? I don't know. I think a lot of them can. I'm mean, I have to look it up. We can call it be- something between a hamster and a mouse or something between a hamster and a lizard. I don't know. Anoli lizards regrow their tail. That's all I got. There you go. We'll call it a... <laughs> An anoli lizard. Then everyone will this episode is. of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentication such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. Make the smart move like many from the community and have a go at bidwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like me though, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 a year. And for that $10 premium account, you'll get things like one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F and Duo, Vault Health Reports, and so much more. Also, you'll get priority customer support, huh? Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud.
It wasn't too long ago, Nate, you were singing the praises of Wayland, but you've recently jumped back to X11. Are you having some issues with Wayland, or is what you are needing to get the job done still in X11? The issues I was having with Wayland they actually ended up becoming quite a few, and I didn't realize there were issues until after I was using it for a while. For starters, whenever I would do video editing, which I do a lot of, and because of Linux Saloon, the scrubbing was really slow on Caden Live with Wayland. And also, like if I moved clips around, if I had multiple clips selected, it would really bog down in a very painful way. But that alone really wasn't enough to push me back to X11. I, I could deal with a little bit of that. Not a big deal. When uh, dragging and dropping files, like on a web browser, like for Octoprint, dropping G-code files on there, the screen darkens and you can see like an upload locally or upload SD that, that pops up. Well, the problem I was having there is sometimes it would just randomly think I was dragging and dropping something when I wasn't doing that. And so I'd have to either refresh the browser window or I'd have to like fake it out that I'm dragging and dropping something there. And that was kind of uh, irritating as well. But, you know, alone, that by itself, that was enough for me to leave Whale and go back to X11, even combined with the issues with Caden Live. When I was doing the light sequences for my house for Christmas, the X-Lite light sequencer, it wouldn't let me like select certain bits. I'm going to paste a sequence into a certain time point, and I would have to click many times before I actually got that little spot where I could then paste it. That alone, that wasn't also, or even combined with the other three issues, that wasn't enough to drive me off. Wayland. Linux Saloon, I use Zoom conferencing. And under Wayland, it would lag a lot. I couldn't really use the chat very well because it would either like double sense input. So like if I was typing something in there really fast, people would probably think I was sipping back on grandpa's cough syrup or something like that with a way it would spell things out. And so I just didn't use that very much. And that actually was also aggravating, but that also wasn't enough for me to stop using Wayland. VirtualBox is basically useless. Also Synergy, the virtual KVMs, that didn't work in Wayland either, but those things didn't really stop me from using Wayland either. The tipping point for me, what said I can't use Wayland, was that Plasma would crash, but it wouldn't really crash exactly. All the programs would quit, and I couldn't shut the system down often enough that it would basically render the system useless. And that was pretty much what did it for me because, you know, outright crashing and loss of work is enough to drive me insane. Now, I wasn't sure what was triggering it. I couldn't predict when it would happen, but it would just happen. And I couldn't have that. So maybe it's Waylon, maybe it's Plasma. I don't know whose fault it is. That Spider-Man meme where Spider-Man's pointing at each other. It's probably that. Well, that pushed me back to X11. And then that's when I noticed that everything else would work much better. I'm going to stay on X11, at least for now. And I'm kind of sad because if I wasn't doing all those other things and Plasma wasn't crashing, Waylon's great. It's really smooth. You know, there's no tearing. It does everything just so well but it doesn't do it well enough. And um, I'm kind of sad about it, but I still see the potential in Wayland. It's a bit discouraging having to go back to X11. You know, Wayland, I really believe it has the potential. I think it has made many great strides in the last few years. I'm glad work is continuing on it, but I guess I'm gonna have to wait for now to use it. You've actually used it way more than I have. I've played with a little bit here and there, but it sounds like some of the pain points that you had just weren't necessarily getting fixed or having these issues here and there that just made it not useful for you and the stuff you need to do at this time. But if you didn't need to do that drag and drop, say, into Octopi or didn't need VirtualBox, then it probably wouldn't be that big of an issue. Though having Plasma crash really is something that's not good and there's no way you want to lose work or worry about corruption of your file systems because you're having to do a hard shutdown instead of a proper shutdown. 
And that would lead me towards using X11 again myself. Yeah. It was just really weird because I'd, I'd have like a document up and I was working on something. And then all of a sudden, there are no applications running. Like everything is gone. Plasma is still there. I can't shut it down, but I can interact with it. Things don't necessarily start up, but maybe kind of. Just in a weird state. Not sure what was going on there. It was just such a strange thing. I just fall away from using Wayland for now. And actually having all these features work again that I, I just kind of gave up is actually really quite refreshing. It's almost like a whole new computer again. <laughs> Someone once said, you know, if you don't know suffering, you don't know uh, happiness or something like that. And uh, well, you know, I, I know desktop happiness. Yeah. So you couldn't even open up a terminal and <laughs> shut down that way. What I would have to do is go into like a, another TTY, like hit control, alt, F1, whatever, go into there and then have to do a, a shutdown there. And sometimes still it wouldn't shut down. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Sometimes. I'm not sure what was going on there. It was probably open SUSE. <laughs> <sighs> Matt. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, I'm very happy again. So everything is good. Things are running great. I have no complaints for how my desktop is running right now. Well, Matt, tell us about the game of the week. Is this another not rated for kids game that you're going to share? Um, <laughs> seeing how it deals with the Baba Yaga, yeah, this is definitely not a uh, kid-friendly game. What's a Baba Yaga? It's a Slavic... Um, it's the Boogeyman. Oh. It's essentially the Boogeyman, but it's like okay. the Slavic version of it. It's a story that they tell kids to terrify kids over in that oh. end of the world. It is kid-friendly then. I guess. Clean your room or the Baba Yaga <laughs> is going to come get you. Don't look underneath your bed. <laughs> so this is kind of a first-person... I don't like the term survival game because it's not actually a gathering game. It reminds me a lot of a kind of like Far Cry Primal in that like you, you gather resources to create like arrows and that kind of stuff. There's this duality of good and bad because there's a morality system in this game. But the way they integrate the morality system is kind of like the game Valley, Wendy, that you've played a bit. So like for everything that you kill, it kind of affects your morality, but... Any unnecessary killing affects it, but it, those that are necessary are fine kind of deal. Kind of like in Valley where you steal life from one thing to proceed to another area or plan or that kind of jazz. The same deal. You mean like Ultima 3? <laughs> Nate, I thought everything was like Descent for you. Pretty much. Like your Descent into <laughs> Madness for Open Susa. Well, not Madness. Yes. And an unhealthy obsession. <laughs> Almost. But this particular game, I had a review code for, so I did not pay anything for this. I will I'll make that totally clear. But as far as an overall game, I think it, it's interesting to always see stories, fairy tales, and that kind of stuff told from a local perspective because this game was developed over in that portion of the world. So they have a different view of the, the folk tales and the stuff that goes with it. I enjoy seeing these kind of games come out because it's not something that you would typically see over here where we get the Walt Disney version of everything when it comes to that kind of stuff. You're talking about the watered down abomination of the actual fairy tale? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's interesting seeing how those developers take those local legends and stories and that kind of stuff and kind of try to add a human element to it. So I definitely found this game very interesting to play. It's definitely different. There's kind of two modes to it. There's like the story mode and there's kind of like the exploration, more focused on the survival and kind of gathering aspect of the game. Obviously, I'm going to gravitate more towards the story end of that because that's where I find more interest in. But it's a solid first person game. Graphics are definitely nice. It's got a very unique art style. You can get it on Steam. Then the nice thing, you can also get it on GOG. And if you want to get it on EGS, go ahead. I don't know why you would, but whatever. 
The nice thing is, Nate, though, they do have a dedicated Steam Deck profile. Oh, well, that's fantastic. I'm sure Wendy's really interested in that fact. I just can't <laughs> wait to fire it up. Oh, wait, I don't have one. I think I hear snoring. I would never. But here's the nice thing. What that means is day one Linux support because they designed around the Steam Deck in the first place. That, that is, is awesome. very cool. So you fire up Proton. Yes, it's not quote unquote native, but... You literally fire up Proton, and the game just works. That's it. Yeah, but what does native really mean? I mean, really. Nate, do you really want to go down that rabbit hole of native and all that? If I write Python code that works on Linux and Windows, is it not native to Linux then? Well, Nate, because it really wasn't developed with my platform in mind, so therefore it is not native. If they're developing around Proton, that means it's native from my perspective. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying simply that's the argument. For me, can I use the platform I like and I don't give two hoots about the magic voodoo end that makes it go run in the background? Going to be totally real. I was expecting a bad math there, so well done. I can surprise you at times. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that these guys have uh, made that possible is definitely a reason I want to kind of highlight this game and kind of the unique um, story that they're looking to tell and kind of where they're pulling from because we don't get a lot of stuff from that end of the world. We get a lot of over-consumerized stories that we've heard 9,000 times, just slight literation, little tweaks here and there, or like, here's a sympathetic villain. They're not supposed to be that, <laughs> you know? So right. I definitely enjoy seeing what a local game developed using local legends and stuff is, and their take on it, because it, it means more, because it's more in ground into their culture and that kind of stuff right oh yeah for sure absolutely added to wish list so while i'm talking about a game about horror stories and uh you know local legends and stuff wendy there's a legend of, that you have a lot of 3d printing stuff <laughs> yeah i am still in the realm of 3d printing stuff getting it ready to go my Thermistor did arrive. It's already attached to my hot end. The board and the way to turn my printer into a direct drive have showed up. They showed up today while I was actually at robotics. And I'm probably not going to have any time today unless I decide to just stay up all night and wire everything in and stuff. Am I actually going to get the physical hardware put together for this printer? But I was originally going to go ahead and stick with Marlin on the printer and I went to start doing all the, the configuration stuff for it. And oh my gosh, was it entirely convoluted. And I'm not saying that Marlin hasn't done some amazing things when it comes to open source software firmware for our 3D printers, but it is definitely one of the harder ones to get customized for your printer. And one of the downsides of Marlin and you're setting it up is if you get something wrong or you want to tweak something, you have to recompile the firmware and flash it to the board again. And I was like, oh, I really don't want to go down this route. So I started looking into Clipper just a little bit more. Configuring it still does take some time, especially where I make some changes, but not other changes. 
And there are some configuration files that help. So I am using those, I am using some tutorials, but one of the really interesting things about Clipper, it requires you to use a secondary board. So in my case, I am using a Raspberry Pi and with Clipper, which you also have that installed on this secondary board, that's where all of that calculation is happening. It's using that much faster chip inside the secondary board to do all of that processing part. Then it's sending it over to your main board that is just carrying out the actions that it's told to do. With this, you can end up with more steps faster, end up producing some cleaner prints with it because it's not doing the work of running all of your motors and stuff plus doing the calculations. It's a really interesting system. And one of the other things that I found that I love about Clipper is yes, you do your initial configuration, flash all of that stuff to the board, but if you need to make tweaks and changes, you can go into that configuration file, reboot everything, and you're good to go again. You don't have to reflash any of that. Now, the downside is the touchscreen that I have that comes with my Ender 5 Plus will not work with Clipper. Actually, I can't even connect it to this board that I have because I don't even have the same connector. So whatever, that's not that big of a deal. But there's this other open source project called Clipper Screen where I can actually have this larger screen. I'm taking one of the old Fire HD8 tablets that's currently running Lineage and that is going to be my touchscreen for the printer. I probably won't use it all of that much because there are multiple interfaces as I kind of alluded to before. So you can use Octopi, but it has two other ones. Fluid, which is the choice that I made. One of the things that I like about Fluid is you can rearrange where things are on that printer interface. It comes already with a dark theme laid into it. It really has a lot of customizable things. One thing that Octoprint has over Fluid is it's got a bunch of these different add-ons that you can have for it that is coming to Fluid. So the other one that you can choose is Mainsail and they all use kind of the same back end for that. The UIs are set up just a little bit differently. With <laughs> Mainsail, you can go directly into the Raspberry Pi Imager and pick it up from there. You can't do that with Fluid. They have another tool that you can use that actually helps you install a lot of the different things. So I really didn't find it that hard. And using the tool that they suggest in order to install it actually helped me get Clipper installed, Clipper screen installed. I have my configuration file all ready to go. I've got the firmware file to flash it onto my board already ready to go. And so without a doubt this weekend, I'm going to be working through all of that stuff. And then next week, I will be able to share how did rewiring to this new board go? How did flashing the firmware go? And what tweaks and changes? So here's the thing. If my printer is running and actually finishing projects next week, everything was awesome. If it's not... There's probably going to be some ranting. There's probably going to be some bad Wendy's that nobody gets to hear but you guys, <laughs> the, you know, two I'm actually doing this podcast with. Okay, I'm going to say there's going to be more than a few bad Wendy's. There's probably going to be a whole lot of bad Wendy's. <laughs> so is this going to be one of those episodes, Wendy, where the entire portion of where you're talking about this stuff is just literally beep? 
There could be some serious hacks to my section next week, as in cutting out major portions of the show. I will say it does sound like a very daunting exercise to do all this. I have to read through what Clipper is. I, I read the overview, but that really didn't tell me what I wanted, I guess. Clipper interacts with the existing... Does it require a different board then? Are you replacing the whole like brain of the Ender 5? I am because I wanted a silent board and some other things. Okay. So basically what Clipper does is it's a lot like Marlin in the fact that it is what takes your G-code and turns it into a print. Okay. But it relies on a separate piece of hardware. And you've already got that figured out inside your system. You have your main board, but your main board isn't doing any of the calculations anymore. That's all happening on the Raspberry Pi that has a much faster chip in it. One of the tutorials I watched is actually also using a Raspberry Pi Zero and being very, very effective with this. Hmm. So instead of your main board doing all of the work, you're branching that off between two separate boards. And then like for me, the Raspberry Pi is then sending those print instructions to the main board, kind of giving it a different main board and then a daughter board that's actually sending the signals to your motors, your print head and all of that stuff, taking some of the weight off of it and breaking it up into two different boards. You have multiple choices when it comes to the web interface of those boards and definitely getting everything set up in your configuration file is the hardest. Now inside Clipper itself, they do come with some stock configuration files and for the Ender printers, it has basic configurations in there. So I am mixing a basic configuration for an Ender 5 Plus with what I know I need for the new board that I have. So that's where it comes just a little bit trickier is I can't use some of the stock ports that it has for the Ender 5 because I'm not using that original main board. I'm putting a separate third-party one inside of it. Got you. Like next level 3D printer building activities right there. It could be amazing, or I could end up taking the 3D printer into the backyard and using a hammer on it. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Going full office space, huh? Right. What does PC load letter mean? Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or on the contact form by visiting textdigital.com contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links in the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, Linux Saloon, and more at tuxdigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting Tux digital merch store grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer centric i pause my game to be here shirt or join hashtag team wendy with some sinister wendy swag as always we thank you for being here we'll be back next week with another awesome soda of linux out loud until then keep the banter friendly conversations somewhat on topic and have fun doing it (laughs) 